starting tomorrow evening. Those of us here in the monastery uh, over the next week will be beginning a week of retreat and an opportunity to slow down, be quiet, and listen more attently inwards and, and hopefully inquire more deeply and without the expectation or the requirement to be paying attention to external activities. Recently I was remembering an incident that occurred quite a number of years ago in the early days of, of um, Chittawiraka Monastery in West Sussex and Ajahn Sumato had been back to the United States in America uh, probably to see his family and when he returned he related to us how he had seen on television this uh, televangelist putting out this message that God wants you to have more. And from the perspective of reflecting on the Buddhist teachings, that's a really, really strange story to be putting around. It seems to be buying right into the impulse to be greedy, the idea that somehow you are inherently lacking and you need more to make you feel fulfilled and the chant that we were doing just now we just chanting the Dhammachaka Sutta and the Buddha's teachings on the turning of the wheel of the law and, and the core message of that is that what we need is less it's not that we need more we need less most specifically we need less craving. And the Buddha points out that the following of the impulse to believe that we need more is actually the source of suffering. So as many of you know this this discourse was the first teaching the Buddha gave and on the Four Noble Truths and and central to that is that there is this experience of suffering, of limitation, of pain that we all experience and there's a cause for it. This is not just an unfortunate situation that we find ourselves in that we need to try and run away from. Rather, we need to try and understand it. And most specifically, what we need to understand is this process of craving. This very, this very experience of craving is, is what causes, it causes the feeling of limitation, the feeling of inadequacy. The suffering, the pain of life, and, and that there's something we can do about it. And now, in this teaching, we're just chanting that it's evident that the Buddha didn't dwell on his experience of what it's like to be free from suffering. He talked about it, he did allude to it in the, the Third Noble Truth. There, he talked about the cessation of all suffering, the, the freedom, and that there is a solution. However, the emphasis in the teaching is very much on 
owning up to the situation we find ourselves in, being honest about the situation we find ourselves in, the feeling of limitation, the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of suffering, and getting interested in that and, and, and studying it and looking into it. And, and it's an unfortunate mistake that even people who hear the Buddha's teachings uh, in the Four Noble Truths don't really pay due attention to it and often make the mistake of thinking that the Buddha said that desire is the cause of suffering. And then they can spend a lot of time trying to get rid of desire. The Buddha never said desire is the cause of suffering. The Buddha had wanting. What he didn't have was craving. What he didn't have was suffering. Craving is the result of, yes, desire mixed with attachment. Desire plus attachment equals craving. To be free from suffering, we need to be free from craving. To be free from craving, we need to get interested and look at our relationship with desire, with wanting. Not just settle for a judgment. It's uh, sometimes, sadly, what happens. People take an initial glance at the teachings on the Four Noble Truths and, and then decide, oh right, desire is the cause of suffering. So then they judge desire and and then one form of deluded desire is trying to get rid of another form of deluded desire and, and run the risk of just tying themselves up in a tangle. is very unfortunate. We need to get more careful, more discerning, more subtle than that. And there's a very helpful discourse Ajahn Chah gave it's printed in the collected teaching it's called Reading the Natural Mind and at the beginning of that discourse Ajahn Chah points out how before the Buddha was the Buddha he had the sort of wanting that we have wanting mixed with wrong understanding and it's uh, not wise wanting however when he practiced and eventually came to realize reality awaken to the truth of the cause of suffering. He still had wanting, however he had wanting mixed with wisdom. He had wise wanting. So there's foolish wanting and there's wise wanting, but wanting is not the problem. It's, it's, it's a mistake to blame wanting. So. Similar to recently I was listening to somebody blaming smartphones for the current pandemic of human foolishness and this person was going on about how dangerous smartphones are and how smartphones make you stupid and, and as if smartphones were the problem. Smartphones are not the problem. When you take unaware human beings plus technology, what you get is smartphones. Smartphones are just the normal consequence of unawakened human beings having technology. We can't be blaming the smartphones for the mistakes that we're making, it's the unawareness, it's the ignorance, it's the lack of clarity in consciousness that's the cause. So the Buddha was encouraging us in many ways, on many occasions, to, to look into this, to get really interested 
what's really going on and this is also very much at the core of Ajahn Chah's teachings and his training his, his training style and the way he would teach both the monastic community and the lay people and put a lot of emphasis on encouraging people to cultivate their minds, their hearts, their awareness so as to be able to change their perspective on suffering. Instead of just running away from suffering, we can do that. We can distract ourselves. Lots of opportunities for that, for sure. Probably more opportunities now than perhaps in all human history for distracting ourselves. We can blame ourselves for our suffering. I'm hopeless. Or we can blame somebody else for our suffering. Both of those are missing the point. They're not helpful. What is helpful that we're told by our teachers is to pay close attention and then to engage the spiritual exercises so as to bring about a change in perspective on suffering. And there are of course many different approaches and people talk about the spiritual journey in, in, in various different ways and I was told once, or I read, I forget now, somebody asked Ajahn Chah, what is your your teaching technique? What is your approach to training? Do you teach samatha? Do you teach vipassana? Do you teach anapanasati? And Ajahn Chah said, my approach is frustration. Or the Thai word is toraman. And by that, what he meant was he would encourage his students to learn how to go against a current of craving so as to shift perception in relationship to desire. So long as we keep making the mistake of thinking that desire is the cause of suffering, we struggle with our desires, we judge our desires, we blame our desires, and, and that's not helping. We need to get more careful in how we go about our investigations and yes it does require going against it and that experience of going against the current of desire that's that's frustration that's not getting my way the potential advantage of not getting my way is that we arrive at a new perspective on my way instead of seeing my way as that which we should follow so as to find happiness God wants you to have more Instead of believing that story, we start to recognize that identification with desire, clinging to desire, following my way, this is what's bringing about the very suffering that we're trying to be free from. It's not not just a judgment of desire, that's far too superficial. So long as we're only thinking about practice and we're not exercising the spiritual disciplines and and deepening in our awareness and it, it's quite possible that you know we can be thinking about these teachings and thinking about oh the Buddha said to let go of craving and craving means letting go of desire and, and so on. We might think we understand. However we don't do the difficult work, we don't do the challenging work of inhibiting the habits. Uh, the habits that we have 
to follow desire. It is difficult work from the perspective of my way, it's thoroughly unattractive. However, if we don't do the work, then it's like it's like if somebody's got a great idea for a startup and they're telling their mates about their startup that they're going to do, but they don't do the difficult work of finding the funding. Yeah. Unless you have particularly wealthy parents, and, yeah. and often, usually, it's the case that to secure funding for a significant startup, it, it's hard work. You've got to work hard, and without the resources, then the startup, no matter how good the idea is, is not going to get very far. So even if we believe in the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths, and and we have great faith in the, the teachers. We ourselves need to engage in these teachings and learn to exercise the spiritual disciplines in a way that makes a difference. It's not, as I say, it's not attractive from the perspective of my way. From the perspective of my way, I really... I really like to get what I want. I like to eat what I want. I like to sleep what I want. I like to say things that I want. And it, the amount of energy I invest in that shows up when, when that current is frustrated. If somebody contradicts me and then there's that upthrust of heat, of energy, and I don't like being contradicted. Or, or, or the, the anagarika burns the porridge in the morning. Why can't the anagarika be more careful? Not getting what I want. That tremendous energy can be released. So, how about if that energy was available in service to wisdom, wisdom and compassion? That heart energy, it's there. It's just, if it's not, if the heart is not trained properly, if we haven't looked deeply enough, if we are not looking in the right direction, if we're not learning about the mistake of clinging to desire and giving rise to craving, then we again, we can be just tying ourselves up into knots. It's regrettable. So, so long as we believe in our thinking still um, and this is where uh, formal meditation is so helpful it can contribute to loosening our grasp on the thinking mind but so long as we're identified with the thinking mind we, we believe in our thoughts then you know, we can be speculating about these matters about the cause of suffering and what's going wrong with the world and what should happen, and but is it going to really make any difference? And you know, we could be speculating and talking about the Four Noble Truths and the Buddha's teachings, and, but is it really going to make any difference? And it can be just like a bunch of stoners sitting around pontificating about ultimate reality, and then when the drugs wear off, there's just a vague memory or something. And for there to be a real shift in our perspective, uh, a real shift in our relationship with wanting, with desire, we need to do much more than that. 
again, as I was saying, it can appear thoroughly unattractive from the perspective of a commitment to my way. I want to do what I want to do. And we feel so justified in that because that's what so many people are doing. It's what the commercial world, most of the, much of the commercial world is telling us to do. It's what the entertainment industry is telling us to do. It's what the travel industry is telling us to do. It's what much of the economy is telling us to do. To follow wanting without awareness. And so, fortunately, if we're heeding the advice of our wise elders, we'll notice that when they're encouraging us to go against the current of wanting, they're not talking about judging wanting or, or judging us for our suffering. They're just pointing in a certain direction of investigation. And, and that there is something we can do about it. There, there are tools that we can use to discipline attention. As I'm mentioning, formal meditation. Millions of human beings have been engaged in practicing meditation for thousands of years and because it works. However, it does also require skill and patience and careful attention. If we try too hard to make our minds peaceful, we actually go in the opposite direction, and become more stressed, more tense. If we don't try hard enough, we just sit there, then the mind just wanders and nothing much happens and it feels like a waste of time. And whether it's feeling the sensation of the body breathing or scanning the, the whole body or listening to the sound of silence or focusing on a theme of reflection. If we hold too tightly, that doesn't work. If we don't hold at all, that doesn't work. Finding the right balanced way of holding takes effort, takes time, takes patience. Also, choosing to live simply. It's, it's really easy to let life become complicated and overly busy. And when life is complicated and overly busy, then it's not so easy to notice the patterns. It's not so easy to get a perspective on our habits and our addiction to my way. We might, even if the, the, what the teacher says about learning to see our addiction and misidentification with this habit that we refer to as my way, even if we get the idea that that would be a good thing to do, it's very difficult to do if we're so busy all the time, so distracted. I was talking to a young monk recently who was telling me that for a lot of young people these days they don't have any downtime anymore. And this is always something that they, they can distract themselves with. You can always pick up a smartphone and check some device. And, not just young people, but for everybody these days, it seems to be the case. is not an appreciation of, of downtime. Whereas if we are tired of suffering and tired of just getting by, we want to look into this really important question, then these 
spiritual exercises are, are worth investing in. You know, regular formal meditation. It doesn't have to be two hours a day or you know, it could be, be twenty minutes or thirty minutes once a day. Or forty minutes. You know. And living simply doesn't mean to say that you've got to become a great ascetic. It can be accepting that choosing to unplug from time to time, choosing to go on retreat, choosing to not just buy more stuff because we want it, just because we want something doesn't mean to say that it's actually going to benefit us. Of course, that's not a story that the consumer culture wants us to listen to. They want us to believe that you need more. Also, the willingness to take on structures in our life, to to set up clear boundaries, to accept rules. Yes, the rules impose a sense of limitation. However, this is functional limitation. This is something we're choosing to do. We're choosing to impose a frame of reference to limit our conduct of body and speech because we want to be acquainted with the habits. We want to recognize where we're caught up in heedlessness. We want to see where the momentum of my way is driving us, whether it's by way of speech or or action. And one of the best ways of doing that is to submit ourselves to a set of rules. I remember hearing a young doctor, and this is quite some years ago, I don't don't remember now whether it was when he already had a family or not, but he'd been on retreat and and certainly had learnt the benefit of meditation and would like to do a lot more retreats. However, he was a doctor and, and he had duties that he was obliged to attend to. He told me that his frame of reference, his practice, his spiritual practice was being really disciplined to live within the five precepts. And he said there's always opportunities, or not always, but regularly opportunities where he was tempted or expected to lie or somehow do something that compromised his commitment to integrity. And, And seeing that helped him come back, come back to this moment. What's important? What matters? What am I committed to? Accepting the, that the five basic five precepts of the Buddha taught us as frame of reference and, and his practice was established around that. Sometimes we, if we're not careful, if we haven't reflected on these things, we can just see rules and limitations as, as a hindrance, as, uh, as a nuisance even. I can recall some years ago now where I had broken, I think, at least one, if not two sets of glasses and sat on and one time I even stood on my glasses and ground them into the gravel, which I was very disappointed about. And so I made a rule for myself. I'm never going to put my glasses down anywhere where I can sit or stand. So now when I take my glasses off, I always put them on a shelf or on something where I can never sit or stand. And it's, it's many years now since I've either sat or stood on my glasses. That's really helpful. 
You might like think, oh, well, I'll just be mindful. I say, well, that's a nice idea that I'm going to be mindful, but we're not mindful all the time. And when we're under pressure, when we're tired, when we're stressed, you know, distracted, and it's, we lose mindfulness and it's uh, easy to step on your glasses or to end up saying something that's an exaggeration or doing something that you regret. And we don't want to do that. And, encouraging ourselves to not do that and so one way of encouraging ourselves to not do that is to willingly accept limitations to find a set of rules and guidelines and structures that that help give form shape and protect our spiritual aspirations so this opportunity we have to look deeper, to inquire more carefully, more skillfully, hopefully is not motivated merely by some sort of a judgment that we shouldn't have heedless habits or shouldn't be lost in desire, but because we're interested. We're interested in what, what makes a difference. What makes a difference to me? What makes a difference to the world? And the Buddha, from the perspective of his wisdom and compassion, says what makes a difference is, are we identified with this movement of mind that we call desire or not? If we're identified as it, if we're clinging to it, then the desire is not just desire. It's not wise wanting like the Buddha had or the great teachers have. It's foolish wanting. And it's craving. And craving makes a difference for the worst. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Handamayang Dhamma Gathaya Sadhu Karam